0: This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor. For whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. This is a show I've been looking forward to for some time. I first became aware of our our guest today. I think back when I was still working at the Diocese of Tulsa in the Respect Life office. As a person who was on the front lines of doing pro-life work, in in a different way, in a way that subverted expectations, and I, I really find that when you're dealing with a topic that is as contentious and as polarized as the pro-life topic is, you really almost have to find someone who subverts expectations and able to get through. All of the noise. So we're talking today with Destiny Herndon Delarosa, who's the founder and president of New Wave Feminists. And you can find out more information about them over at newwavefeminists.com. She's written for America Magazine uh, and, uh, wrote a raucous series of improbable hagiographies for the Catholic Herald. While she herself is not Catholic, she's surrounded by them. Uh, many of her organization's board members and the co-founder of the Stellar Shelter are faithful Catholics. Uh, destiny, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: One of the the first things that probably piqued people's ears is the the title of your organization, New you Wave Feminists. Uh, and what I'm particularly interested in with your organization is that no matter what picture people have in their heads, whether it be a positive or a negative feeling associated with that word feminists, um, your organization is going to kind of bend the the boundaries of what we typically associate with that word. Um, so help us to understand the context in which Ah, uh, new wave feminist fits within the uh, the the scape of feminism. What does it mean for you uh, to use that term? And what's the basic driving purpose behind the organization?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I agree that it is it is a word fraught with with all types of uh, meanings to different people. I think a lot of people hear the word feminist and they assume, you know, we hate men. Um I don't. I've made two men with my body. Big fan of men. Uh or that we support abortion. Um we do not. We actually feel like, you know, when when people speak of patriarchy, which again not men in general, but a system designed for men and by men, right? That so much of the issue of patriarchy is dehumanization. It is seeing human beings as property and how can we call ourselves feminists? How can we be fighting these systems that dehumanize when we then turn around and have that same might makes right attitude towards the unborn child in the womb? Because you're weaker and smaller and vulnerable, we can use violence against you. That That is the whole reason feminism has to exist, um, because we are we are fighting that mentality. And so we certainly can't turn around and become a part of it. So new wave feminist uh started as a myspace page which is crazy this like how did this happen i don't know how it became what it is today uh it's kind of been a wild ride but you know my son was five years old we were driving down the highway and we saw this billboard for this uh you know hooters type restaurant but on steroids and the image was just it was graphic it was it was pornographic and I remember him looking up and saying, "That's not okay." And I said, "That is not okay. Why are why are you know we looking at these women being exploited to sell chicken wings like on a huge billboard in Dallas?" And so, I got together a couple friends. I'm like, "We should do something about this." Maybe I might have been a little bored at the time. Look, I don't know. It was <laughs> he had started kindergarten. I had some time on my hands, and so I, you know, and speaking at city council meetings and writing letters and planning protests. And I went to sign it, you know, with me and my two friends' names and it was like Destiny Cat Christy. And I'm like, there's nothing intimidating about that. I was like, let's <laughs> let's call ourselves like like we need like a name for a group. And it was literally like a, you know, <laughs> like I was writing a Hollywood script and I was like, What sounds like a feminist script? Like new wave that yeah, that sounds like a thing. Let's do that. So I signed it that. The billboard gets covered. I am now drunk with power. And I'm like, What are we gonna do next? <laughs> like, let's do more things and um And then I came to that reckoning of the modern feminist movement is very pro-choice as a default, but I would say pro-abortion in some more extreme sects. And I'm just not, you know, uh, my mom was 19 when she got pregnant with me at the University of Texas in Austin and could have very easily aborted. And I always knew that, like, it took this courage. It took this strong female strength for her to choose life. It took a support system. It took family willing to be there for her. And then subsequently took a decade for her to complete her degree, where we had a lot of struggles and suffering. And in my feminist utopia, she would have been able to continue her education. Uh, Plus, raise me. She shouldn't have had to choose between the two. And so I think I always knew that that was going to be a part of my feminism, even if it was very, very unpopular. Um, And sure enough, it kind of was, but I found so many other women and and males who came out of the woodwork and said, this, like, I can call myself a feminist if this is what it is. Like, Mm -hmm. I fully stand behind this. And so from there, New Wave Feminist has grown. We have adopted a consistent life ethic, which is womb to tomb, you know, um, Mm -hmm. nonviolence. And that allows us to do a lot of justice work. But the idea is always still rooted in that, Belief that all human life is is sacred and valuable; all people should be protected from violence for the duration of their lifetime, and our number one enemy is dehumanization. Mm-hmm.
0: One of the things that um, that I love about New Wave feminists is that it's not content with the the current definitions with the status quo, and you actually even have a, a line in your uh, in your stated purpose that says that. Um, you, you advocate, you exist to advocate for the dignity of the vulnerable, amplify a consistent life message and agitate the status quo. I love that, that turn of phrase there. But so often we, we just accept the definitions that are thrown at us, uh, feminism or, or justice or whatever, what have you. Uh, and because we have such a polarized society, uh, and we kind of, Fall into the overarching maybe political narratives that are fed to us. We don't often see people striking a middle balance and saying, "Well, I, I I'm going to take the good I see over here, and I'm going to take the good I see over here, and I'm going to marry them and create this this middle way, this hybrid of uh, maybe it doesn't fit anybody else's uh, fit on anybody else's pantry, but it fits in mine, right? I've got this ready-made spot for it, and and I. I think that it's incumbent upon all of us just as part of forming our consciences and growing in, in virtue as people to not just wholesale adopt these definitions, these uh, ready-made categories that people give for us, but to find what, what is the category that makes the most consistent sense uh, and, and not have to compromise so I can fit in someone else's box.
1: Absolutely. I think there's, there's so much power, right, in stepping away from a political party or this set standard of beliefs that beliefs that aren't working anymore, that you do. Because in the beginning, it starts like small compromises. And, okay, I can overlook that as long as we're working towards the same goal here. But um, a lot of times when you, especially in a very polarized uh, political climate like we have now, those compromises snowball into where you don't even remember what you're you're fighting for anymore. And so I remember leaving the political party that I'd been affiliated with my whole life and thinking like, ok, i'm I'm going to be a loner now. I'm going to be totally by myself. You know, nobody thinks this way. And there's no power in that, right? And you have to have power to form movements to make change and and you kind of need that that unity and and bigger community um and networks and things. And I was shocked when that happened, that it was the most liberating feeling. Suddenly I could point out the good and the bad on both sides. And I could say, I don't, I I will not compromise my convictions that all human life is sacred from womb to tomb." right? And so many people came out of the woodwork and were like, yes, like this, this is what we need. Like, can we start our own movement, our own political party, our own, you know, thing? And you know it's still difficult i think when it comes to voting or anything like that because you know compromises it does it, it certainly feels like we are constantly asked to compromise but i've also realized that any time we just take this one particular ideology and we don't wrestle with it we don't sit in the tension we don't struggle with it what ends up happening is you have some talking head on a 24-hour news channel who will give you these very specific talking points. You know, some issue happens in some other state. That's not your community. You don't know the people there. You don't probably know the backstory, but you're immediately told exactly what to think and what to say. And you'll see this kind of phenomenon happening on social media where, you know, after a debate or any type of news issue, it's like 30 minutes later you start seeing the same phrases being used over and over again because they were just fed to people. And I noticed that I was starting to do that. I was saying particular things about immigration or, you know, abortion or, or other things that I had not sat down and wrestled with and come, came to a conclusion on. And when that happens, when you're just being fed lines... And then someone challenges that viewpoint because it's not something that you've really invested your heart and your convictions into. You get very defensive and you start mm-hmm. screaming at people because you don't even really know why you believe this. You're just repeating, you know, and regurgitating something else you were told. And so it actually leads to really bad discourse, you know, for the nation, for families, for everything. And that I think that's kind of where we're at right now. And on the flip side, when you step away from that and say, I'm not going to defend a political party as if it's a deity, right, which we see Mm -hmm. it becoming people's religion in so many ways. Um, I am not going to have blind allegiance. I'm going to acknowledge that, you know, this political figure or this leader or even this pastor, I disagree with them on this. They're doing this wrong. This is what I agree with. But this is what I disagree with. Suddenly you have this bridge that's built with people on the other side of an issue. And I've certainly seen that with abortion. Um, we have this big kind of media thing happened a few years back with the Women's March on Washington where we were accepted as a sponsor. They knew that we were pro-life. Um, <clears throat> but once it kind of hit the news, they removed us. And in a two week period of time, I probably did over 200 interviews. And I just got to talk to journalists from the right, left, middle, in between everywhere. Um, people who were extremely against us, who were ready to fight me because we were pro-life and so we're anti-woman and we just want to control people and all these other narratives that's, you know, been put on uh, pro lavers. And I would start talking to them about, you know, domestic violence, police brutality, uh, immigration, these other issues that we likely agreed on. And they would soften and they would like this, this weird thing would happen in their brains where it would go ok, i'm I'm an incredibly intelligent person. I know everything. I'm right about everything. I'm talking to this crazy purple-haired feminist. She's right about like seventy five percent of these things that I'm right about, so she can't be totally unhinged because, like, she's agreeing with me on these things. Like, and then they were much more willing to hear me talk about the life issue and how we have a deficiency when it comes to actually helping people continue their pregnancies. And if we're talking about justice and fighting, Systems and creating systemic change. Why are we just giving people five hundred dollars for an abortion? Why aren't we talking about housing, healthcare, you know, childcare, transportation—the things that actually affect the moms who contact me because they don't feel like they have a choice. Um, They feel like abortion is their only option because they lack the resources necessary. And that common ground is so beautiful. But I don't know that I would have been able to have those conversations if I wasn't willing to acknowledge kind of the gross stuff in our Mm -hmm. movement or, um, you know, history. And the more people do that, the more we become critical thinkers, independent thinkers, like the more we find common ground with the person sitting right in front of us and show them our hearts that we just want to love and empower and, you know, build up the vulnerable. Um, the more we have opportunities to do that. Mm -hmm.
0: You, you mentioned this, you know, after quickly after a debate, you'd see those same talking points come out. And from the news media's perspective and from the political party's perspective, it's beneficial to have those talking points out quickly, so a united front can be presented. But there's this rush uh, to get everyone on the same page. and And that might give you a unified front in terms of talking points, but a consensus can only be formed through actually doing the hard mental work. Uh, yeah. doing that mental labor of, of coming to not only be able to recite but to, uh, to really, appropriate and understand. Um That's why, you know, I, I'm a convert to the Catholic faith, and and in the process called RCIA. At the end of it, when you're confirmed, there's this statement: uh, "I believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church teaches to uh, to be revealed by God." It's that's a, a Close approximation, not not word for word. But I, I'm interested by that turn of phrase, I believe and profess, uh, because it seems like so often we're in a rush to get people to profess, but not really concerned with whether or not they really believe. Because belief takes that foundational work. Not just I can repeat it, but but I hold it as kind of a core value. I I believe and profess. Uh, and and that belief comes before the profession, uh, and so often I think we've got that reversed. Well, you just say the right thing, uh, make sure that you pass that that litmus test, and then we can move from there. Rather than taking that step back, looking at the scenario, wrestling with it mentally, wrestling with it in prayer, wrestling with it in in your own identity, and saying, can I uh, consistently hold these? two things in one place can I can I be <clears throat> pro-life consistently all the way through and what what things do I have to give up to make that happen what things do I have to 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 add on that I'm currently missing in order to take that position and that work never just ends an opinion uh, and that's what I kind of want to move to here is what started as a, a myspace page moved into... Some immediate action on the short term, uh, into deeper action in advocacy, and and almost not lobbying, but that kind of idea of trying to sway opinion, into deep and abiding action on the on the case for the for the uh, benefit of the marginalized and oppressed, specifically with your clinic, which you started at, at just a really opportune time, right? Uh, Nothing was going on in the world when you decided to say, Hey, let's go down to the border and start up this clinic. Uh, the stellar shelter, where did that idea come from? How did this become a thing that, that grew out of a MySpace page?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'm still trying to figure out, um, a lot of doors open that shouldn't have, like I'm a, you know, class act idiot like i went to beauty school i failed seventh grade like i am someone who has messed up all, had my own teen pregnancy which is what kind of started new wave feminist right like it's a series of mess ups that somehow i have just gotten incredibly like fortunate into them each equipping me and um you know, you know this, I'm not sure if your listeners do, I'm agnostic, right? And so I believe in a higher power though. And I call my higher power Mr. Miyagi because it is through (laughs) these series of mess ups, right? That, or this prompting that's telling me to do something. And I don't want to, I argue with it all the time. And it's like, go sand the fence, go wax this car. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. But then the next day I know karate, right? Like, and so all of these things kind of, um, were just placed Along the way, that now I can see. Okay, yeah, that that completely led us to starting the the shelter. Which, just to clarify, the clinic side is phase two. So that's going to be starting hopefully next year. We have a team of doctors that um, we want to to be able to serve the wider community of Juarez, not just our shelter, but the shelter right now is just this main house. We've already had eighty plus women and children come through, uh, be able to have a safe place where they can stay while they're waiting on asylum. Um, But you know, it started. Gosh, 2016, 17, there was a big hurricane that hit the Gulf of Mexico and we did a feminine hygiene care, you know, yeah. collection thing. And so and it got so <laughs> we, we got such a response. We had so many pads and tampons that we had filled up every single shelter because a lot of people were coming up from Houston to Dallas and then even took some down to Houston to replenish their stock because uh, we realized that was something that people didn't donate a lot. Right. And then the running joke became maybe we should just start throwing these into the flood water to absorb it. Because like we we were able to collect more pads and tampons than were needed in the Metroplex for sure. Uh, And then the next year we were like, okay, we evidently have this ability to organize people and do stuff. So we started working with detainment uh, families that had just gotten out of detainment on the Texas side. Um, So for a few summers, we took down um, loads of supplies to families that were newly here seeking asylum. So we kind of started building this audience of people who were pro-life and pro-migrant and had a heart for migrants. And then after a couple of years of that, uh, Karina Berceda, my board member and the co-founder of the Stellar Shelter, came to me because she was working at a little shelter in Juarez, Mexico, and a large abortion provider had approached her and said hey we would like to have access to your clinic to be able to talk to your women about stuff and keep in mind at the time most of her women were pregnant through sexual assault on their journey up they were not seeking abortions believe it or not they just needed a safe place to continue their pregnancies and south america can be more matriarchal in ways and i i found it really beautiful that they didn't want abortions because they didn't see this as you know the i hate the term the rapist baby that's the most patriarchal term i can think of this person has already, you know, preyed on somebody and and tried to steal their power in so many ways. And then we also give them rights over this child through that term, right? But they didn't see it as that. They were like, this is my child and then it's my Mm -hmm. job to protect them. And so the idea of letting Planned Parenthood with kind of these Western colonizing thoughts in where they could push this narrative that well, you should terminate. It'll be easier for you to get asylum. It'll be, you know, you don't want to have to deal with this. You become incredibly vulnerable when you have a child in Mexico because there are a lot of bad actors that will prey upon the fact that your kid needs to eat or needs a roof over its head, and so we can make you do this, this, and this in order to get those things. And so, we, she knew that she didn't want Planned Parenthood to come in, but they were offering her like a 10,000 or grant to have access to her shelter and she she kind of called me out of frustration she's like where are the pro-lifers i have pregnant women who are incredibly vulnerable to abortion abuse all these other exploitations and where are the pro-lifers that say that they care about this issue because they're certainly not here because this has been mm-hmm. made a political issue that's on the right and so um i was like you know i don't know that we can come close to that amount but we can try And we blew that amount out of the water like fourfold. It was kind of amazing and about in fun. And after that, I was like, okay, I I hate that we have a monopoly on being pro-life and pro-migrant. I would love some competition. If anybody else would like to start doing this work, like it would be great to to not kind of be alone in it. Um, But it snowballed from there. What was supposed to be the summer campaign became me constantly going to Juarez, falling in love with the city, the beauty of just the people and being able to learn so much from, you know, the, the individualistic way that we live here in America, that doesn't really exist there as much. You're seeing women who just gave birth. They're dealing with postpartum depression and can't get out of bed. So another mom immediately picks up that baby and starts nursing it and taking care of it and, you know, taking care of the mother and just this community. We joke that it's it's not a commune, it's a momune. So just this group <laughs> of women, you know, living together and building each other up has been so refreshing for feminism, you know, my feminism, because it does feel lonely sometimes. But seeing these women and I don't know if any of them would call themselves feminists, um, but they definitely embody that sisterhood that has just been so beautiful um, to watch. How how do we have a shelter full of 80 plus people and children running around laughing? And, and I'm just standing there and i like, how did this come from a MySpace page? Um, Mm -hmm. It was a series of me failing at so many things. And for some reason, so do I think Mr. Miyagi's behind it and was laying this out all along? Like it had to have been something like that because there's, there's no other way that we could have pulled this off. Um, And it's been really beautiful to watch.
0: Yeah. Now, if, if I remember correctly from the, the Facebook posts back when this was first getting put together. Y'all, you're in a different place, uh, a different um, physical location than the clinic originally the, or than the shelter originally was in. And it's, if correct me if I'm wrong, it's in a bomb shelter, an old bomb so, shelter. So
1: it was a bomb shelter. That's the space that we were originally looking at, um, which even that was... It's because we had set up a fund for our campaign the year before and a board member had set up a PayPal that I wasn't I didn't realize was linked to our page. And we accidentally raised a chunk of money and i started seeing donations people started donating their stimulus checks to us during covid and i was like okay that's not hitting the bank account i should probably look into that so this money's not going off into the ether and then i find out that we had this account and i was like and it's all earmarked for the border a hundred percent of the donations we receive mm-hmm. for the border go direct to direct action to the border and so i was like well we have to we have to do something with this money. like it has to go to help people And so Karina sets out to basically try to find ways to spend money to help people. And as she's doing that, again, series of crazy events, she gets linked up to this person, this person, this person. And um, we find this amazing place that was a bomb shelter. It looked like it was the place. And... In one of the rooms, there was even, we've tried to figure out what the mural was, because the whole place is just like white and boring. But this one wall had, it was either a picture of Jesus walking on water or it was Stella Maris. It was, which I was completely unfamiliar with this concept that Mm -hmm. the guiding star of the sea, Mary. And so it's on this wall. And we were like, this is a sign. We've been guided to this place, (laughs) right? And then over the course of the next few months, we found out that the seller was probably maybe just trying to take our money and not do anything. And it was a little nefarious and um, it was not the place for us. But I was like, but the signs, there were signs everywhere that led us to this. Like, how could this not be it? And so I'm like taking a week's worth of depression naps because by this point we've raised the money for this shelter right. that now we can't buy. Um and then all of these things come out there was a good chance imminent domain would have taken it over there were like it was like that scene in the matrix where he's dodging the bullets but that's like how many we dodged that all this mm-hmm. stuff comes to light and so Karina immediately starts working towards you know okay we got to find a new place and she's looking at properties like i love the fact that that's our partnership like when i'm not there she's steps up and vice versa. Like, we just tag teamed yeah. it. And so she immediately goes into action and she finds this place that um there were a couple of places we were looking at, like big air venues. And it kind of looked like Costco's, you know, like very cold, not warm places. Yeah. And then they wanted to show us a house. And we're like, we don't want to see a house. Like, no, we need more than that and we show up to this place and it's behind this huge wall and i start saying like oh we need a wall like this for safety oh we need stuff like this for like i'm just pointing out when we finally find our place we need to recreate it the second we walk in and we see this house where it's massive and we're like oh my gosh this might actually be it has a pre-built clinic which was part of our plan as well um which we did not think we were gonna we thought we were gonna have to build all that from the ground up now that we were looking for a new property and then, as soon as we walk in the front on the entryway, is a giant Stella Mars star, and we were just like, "You got to be!" I burst into <laughs> tears. I'm like, "I don't even know what I believe in, but like, this is too on point." That it was just this assurance that we were being guided every step of the way to the exact perfect place. And now I could not imagine. Um, and so that's why it's the stellar because we're saying yeah. it's the stellar <laughs> shelter. But come on, it's kind of the Stella shelter. We honor was- it.
0: I was pretty sure that that was the meaning of it. <laughs> we're talking today with uh, Destiny Hernandez De Rosa, the founder and president of New Wave Feminists. You can find more information about them at newwavefeminists.com. We're going to continue this conversation just after the break. Among the other things we're going to be mentioning is how you can participate in this shelter down at the border Come join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And we'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We're talking today about the stellar shelter. This is a a thing I've been following for some time. I used to, um, oh gosh, back in Back in the day, I was the director of Respect Life for the Diocese of Tulsa, did a lot of pro-life work there, including the the Tulsa March for Life, the 40 Days for Life, and other uh, partnered with other pregnancy assistance programs throughout uh, eastern Oklahoma. Uh, and that was when I first became aware of new wave feminists. You can find more information about them at newwavefeminist.com. Uh, we're talking today with uh, Destiny Herndon Delarosa, who's the founder and president. So glad to have you on the show today, Destiny.
1: Yeah, this has been fun. Sorry I talk too much. My stories are very. No, no, long. It's,
0: that, That's what we're here for. No one wants to hear me talk. But- we're, we're here to hear what you have to say. Um, I, I know. That you have done this work on on the border. I know that you've done other fundraisers and other um, resource distribution raisers, as it were. But I also happen to know uh, because my wife does some work uh, every every year in New York City at the Commission on the Status of Women. Oh yeah, uh,
1: that that little Nations.
0: thing. I know that you you also have some uh, some presence and activity there. So talk a little bit about what does this look like to To advocate, and of course, like we said at the very beginning, everywhere you go, you don't quite fit into people's pre-existing expectations and molds. So what does it look like to go and advocate for things that, in places where maybe you don't necessarily feel welcome, but you make yourself welcome rather than taking a, a combative approach?
1: Well, it does help that I have purple hair, so I like to catch people off guard. That's the first way to stun your opponent is for them to think that you're something else. Um, It works really well whenever I go to events that are at abortion clinics, right? And I walk up and all of the escorts are like, oh, sorry about the crazy people out here today. And I'm like, oh, no worries. And then I walk over and like take the bullhorn from the crazy person. And um, so at the UN, it's interesting because... um, I go with a group called Big Ocean Women, which is an amazing maternal feminist group out of Utah. And, uh, you know, it feels like they are speaking on behalf of half the globe. A lot of third world countries, um, places where uh, abortion is not just like this common sense thing that you would want. Why would you ever fight for that? Like they can't seem to understand it yet. That's what's being pushed in their communities is, you know, long-acting birth control sterilization and abortion and it's interesting because the first year that i went um seeing people you know talking the council on status women's obviously all all about um kind of female issues but you start realizing how underrepresented basically half the country is it's, it is kind of this colonizer mentality of like the way the west does it is the way that everybody should do it and there was actually even a. Uh, Uh, a table set up at one point with information for a thing called like population connection and so I walk up and again purple hair so the girl sees me she's like oh it's one of ours cool we're gonna have this like hipster woke conversation and and by the way I am pretty woke in a lot of ways uh but I also kind of see through the fact that this is population control and that's exactly what I said to her I'm like oh cool so this is like population control is that what we're doing here and she's like oh well we don't use that term that's that's we don't like to say that, but we just want to really talk about the issues with the population and, you know, being overpopulated and, da, da, da. and I start looking at her table and it's all stuff on how to push abortion in third world countries. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of things that are long acting birth control. But if you do not have access to healthcare, could easily become sterilization, could harm your reproductive abilities for a very long time. And I think that's when the light bulb went off in my head that there is so much that's being pushed at the U.N. level um that if you look at it through a uh, lens of fertility you can see how there is an attack on fertility on people being able to um procreate and especially in places where we deem impoverished or undereducated mm-hmm. or whatever thing that we've put on it because they're not to this like american um or western standard and it's really horrifying i you know would go to these different sessions um on, you know, menstrual supplies and in India and all these other places. And, and they, the rooms would be full. People were very interested. In how do we actually help girls stay in school and stuff like that? It was great. The one that I went to that was standing room only was on abortion. And it was a lot of women from Africa. It was a lot of women from countries where they were saying this is being pushed on us. It literally we are having not only botched procedures, but even, um, you know, Ds, things like that that are sterilizing our women. Uh, because they cannot properly be handled. And you're talking about the issues with patriarchy, which, you know, we agree with, like spousal abuse and um, Mm -hmm. child marriages and these horrific things. When you go over and you just say, here, let us give you an abortion to take care of that, that does nothing to actually fight these systems that are harming women globally. And it feels like a real Band-Aid solution that a lot of people in the West are kind of providing. And so... For me, that was the aha moment that, you know, being truly pro-choice, you should be supporting people having the ability to have that choice. And we see groups, um, you know, not not necessarily pro-choice groups, but reproductive justice groups that there is actually a lot of common ground with because the mm-hmm. the authentic ones are talking about that. The choice to even continue a pregnancy is not available to so many people.
0: Yeah. Let's take that that track a little bit further this question of of promoting justice uh, i think so many of us who who would have consistent life ethic or who would be pro life we don't necessarily think outside of our own immediate uh, culture and context uh, we're we're trying to to focus on and fix the home front Sometimes we forget that there is a whole world out there, and, and of course we as Catholics, Catholic means universal. Uh, a lot of these places where, um, uh, where you find the marginalized uh, people or people who have their power taken away, they are Catholic countries. They are people who have um, the, the, our brothers and sisters uh, just honestly in in fact of their humanity, not to mention the fact that we also have a shared belief and shared faith. What I find so interesting is that the people who are out there offering help, uh, who are saying, hey, we see that there's infrastructure issues that need to be taken care of and justice. There are uh, socioeconomic things that are happening. We want to go and provide um, uh, funding. We want to go provide uh, relief. Uh, But in order to get our relief, a lot of these major organizations would, organizations would say, you have to also accept these these programs that we want to send your way. So uh, you're talking about all these programs going over and offering abortion. I think the really, truly um, dark, uh, nefarious, maybe too strong a word, but maybe not. Uh, the really dark thing about that is they say, if you don't accept this thing, which is culturally foreign to you mm-hmm. of, of abortion or long-term contraception or all of these things, if you don't accept that, then we're not going to give you the other funding that you need to take care of roads and infrastructure and health care and all of these other things. And so back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of the show, there are these little compromises. Do I do I accept this funding for the sake of health care and, and uh, larger justice? and make that little compromise or do I turn that down and we suffer even more? So how do we, as, as people who would be concerned with justice, be concerned with, with the care of humanity, how would we go in and compete with these massively funded organizations, uh, in a way that still provides the support without having that kind of colonizing Western colonization of, uh, of other cultures?
1: I mean, I think, I think that's a great question. And and the irony here is a lot of times it is more conservative leaning people, people who want smaller government, who are voting down a lot of these, you know, support systems um, here in the States and globally. Okay. That's, Fine, if that's what you want to do, but then step up and be the church, right? Like, I was raised in the church by my minister grandfather. Like, I I know some Bible, um, and I fully agree that the government is trash. They're going to mess up everything they touch. The human beings who are actively, like, involved with the community and love the people of the community are much more inclined to find good, you know, um, consistent solutions that are actually going to honor the humanity of people. And so where where are you at? Where are you at? Like mm-hmm. be there, you know? It's crazy because I left the church 6 years ago and have been agnostic and someone recently asked on Facebook like why did you decide to leave the faith? And I said because I found God more outside of the church than I did inside of the church. I found Jesus when I was like on the side of the border wall cutting out graffiti stencils so we could put a pro-life message you know, on the wall that everybody who crosses back and forth from Mexico has to see. And and our message was um, migrant children have heartbeats too, right? We talk about the heartbeat of the unborn child here in the States, but what about the migrant children? And I remember just being down there, cutting out the stencil. I'm down on my knees, like trying to get it done so we can spray paint it on the side of the wall. And I realized all of a sudden it was Sunday morning. And, you know, that ex-evangelical guilt that you feel where it's like oh I'm supposed to be somewhere where am I supposed to be (laughs) and uh oh, church, but I don't do that anymore. And the sun was beaming down on me and I was like, this is my church right now. This is what I think, the Jesus that I came to love as a child, the model that he had, this is what he would be doing. And, and I've kind of developed a theory since then that church should be like K through 12. Like you need the education. You, I, I considered going to seminary when I was 24 uh, because I wanted to learn more. I wanted to understand. And that part's important. But some people are working on their like fifth doctorate right now, like get like, I mean, so go on Sundays if that's your thing, but then go apply it, like get a job doing it, like or apply it in your actual job in your life. Not everybody can do full time ministry or nonprofit work. Right. But I I just I see people going to church for the education, but then not applying what they've learned. And I think that's actually why a lot of millennials are kind of leaving uh, political uh, affiliations, leaving churches leaving institutions altogether because we don't we don't see that consistency and i was raised to be radical and be ready to be like you know persecuted for my beliefs i didn't think it was going to be happening from the people in the church when i'm asking them to act more like jesus right <laughs> when i'm being told that helping migrants is actually you know encouraging them to come here no what's encouraging them to come here is the cartels killing their children Like, that's what's encouraging them to come here. And where would Jesus be in this debate? And so it is, I would say, more disheartening seeing people in the church, as you said, like people who are supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ of these individuals um, turning a a blind eye on them because of political things. Like It's it's this belief that are you going to cling to your Bible or your catechism in y'all's case or the Constitution, I think some of it overlaps, but a lot of people are going more towards the Constitution these days.
0: You know, I I, I grew up evangelical as well, and have that same kind of uh, experience of um, like Sunday mornings were. <laughs> This is this is a maybe an imprecise way to put it, but it felt kind of like a concert and a TED talk, right? That that yeah. was the, the <laughs> purpose of Sunday morning. I'm gonna I'm gonna feel uplifted, and I'm gonna leave knowing something I didn't know. Uh, that's one of the things that Catholicism has been really helpful for me in is realizing that that Sunday is more about that connection and communion with with God and with neighbor than it is about me leaving knowing something new right that that's what that's what radio shows are for is to learn something new right <laughs> but um but there is this absolute essential purpose and we see this in a document of the church out of vatican too talking about our role as as lay people as lay faithful is that yes we go to mass and we receive the sacraments for the purpose of not then us going out and being in some ways a sacramental sign to the rest of the world right we are using old testament language we're blessed to be a blessing right we receive so that we can give and if we only receive and we do not have an outlet for god's kindness and love and mercy and justice then we become stagnant pools yes. right we have to be we have to be life giving if we're receiving life through the sacraments and through the work of christ then we have to. like it is incumbent upon us we cannot do else but go and give that same life in another way. and And I would have maybe a challenge or an encouragement to you listening. if you have not yet found your outlet, um, spend some time in prayer about that. Go and ask your priest or go and ask someone uh, who you trust. What are the ways that you can get involved, whether it be through advocacy, whether it be through pro life work, whether it be through liturgy, whether it be whatever it is that your thing is? God's given you giftings and he's given you uh, certain strengths and proclivities and personality that are suited towards a thing. And it's not just about going and sitting in the pew and hearing the homily and receiving the Eucharist and then going home. There has to be this outlet of, I am part of the body of Christ, and Christ's body is always moving towards the care of souls. And so if I'm a part of that body, I have to be moving towards the care of souls as well. <clears throat> These are the spiritual and the corporal acts of mercy to care for people in their weakness and in their need. And one of the ways you can do that is by supporting the Stellar Shelter uh, over at, you can find more information about it at New Wave Feminists. It's plural there, newwavefeminists.com slash Stellar Shelter, or just go to the main website. We're going to have a link to it over on our social media, facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. We've been talking today with Destiny herndon Delarosa, the founder and president of New Wave Feminists. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thanks for taking me to church. That was a good little sermon at the end. I liked hearing that.
0: <laughs> if you missed any part of my conversation with Destiny, or you want to go back and listen to it again, maybe catch something you missed or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And if you can't get enough, well, I've got good news. There's more. There's always more. Each and every week, we record an extra segment that we make available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air, and in gratitude, we give them a couple extra questions with the guest. They've got that for about six months of exclusive listening, and then we make those extra segments available to the general public. So they're on the the uh, OutsidetheWalls.com website. Click that Patreon link there. You can find some of those older extra segments and consider being a part of that Patreon support community. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking Scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and Doctors of the church, magisterial documents, biblical commentaries, and so much more. You can learn more at verbum.com. Our reading today from Scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How have you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. pouring an olive <clears throat> pouring on oil pouring on oil and wine then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying take care of him and whatever more you spend i will repay you when i come back Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, You, go and do likewise. That reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And to the hearer of this story, there's a couple of things to note. One, you have this person who obviously is asking Jesus a question in order to show off what he already knows, right? Uh, Jesus asks him, how, how do you read the law? And he answers with those two great commandments. Perhaps he heard that, that homily, that, that message as we hear it from another of the Gospels, from one of the synoptics. Maybe he heard Jesus say something similar, and so he wanted to come back and prove how much he knew. Maybe he just wanted to trip Jesus up or to test him. Whatever the the case is, when Jesus did not engage with him in the way he wanted to be engaged, he pressed further. When Jesus said, oh, you've got it. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. He didn't give him a whole lot of praise. He didn't challenge him. He just said, there you go. Well done. And he pressed further. Who is my neighbor? So Jesus then comes and tells the story. And in the story, I think it's important for us to realize we hear the story and it's familiar to us and we know how it plays out. And I think that we see ourselves separated from the story. We understand the story. We can parse it out. We can uh, maybe analyze it correctly. Like this lawyer, we have the right answer. But it's important to know that to the person first hearing the story, both the priest and the Levite had a valid reason in the minds of the hearers, a valid reason for passing by on the other side because they knew the Levitical code and they knew that if the priest and the Levite if they had gone and assisted that man, if they had entered into him in his wounding and touched him as he was laying there by the side of the road, they, according to that law, would have been considered unclean because the blood that was there. And they would have, because they engaged with that, they would have had to um, step back from their obligations and their duties as priest and Levite uh, for a period of cleansing. And so it would have been inconvenient for them uh, and it would have prevented them from doing. The thing that they were called to, their vocation, if they had stepped up and assisted this man. And yet, God calls us to a higher law. And then, of course, you've heard many times, as you've heard this story before, that the Samaritans were persona non grata. And so, for this person to come and assist where the priest and the Levite hadn't, and for that person to be the hero of Jesus' story, was deeply shocking indeed. And I think it should be shocking for us as well when we see those who may not fit our mold doing the compassionate work that we are called to do. And so I encourage you, go and do likewise. Go and serve your neighbor, because in serving our neighbor, we serve Christ. Our reading from Church History Today comes from a sermon by St. Augustine. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The Lord's command seems difficult and painful, that anyone who wishes to follow him must deny himself. But his command is not really difficult or painful, since he himself helps us to do what he commands. For the verse of the Psalms, addresses to him, was truly spoken. Because of the words of your lips, I have abided by hard ways. True also are his words. My yoke is mild and my burden is light. For love makes easy whatever is difficult in his commands. What does it mean, let him take up his own cross? It means he must endure many things that are painful. That is the way he must follow me. When he begins to follow me in my life and my teachings, many will contradict him, try to stop him or dissuade him, even those who call themselves Christ's disciples. It was they who walked with Christ that tried to stop the blind men from calling out to him. So if you wish to follow Christ, you will take these threats or flattery or any kind of obstacle and fashion them into the cross. You must endure it, carry it, and not give way under it. And so in this world that is the church, a world of the good, the reconciled and the saved, or rather those destined for salvation, but already saved by hope, as it is written, by hope we are saved. In this world of the church, which completely follows Christ, he has said to everyone, if anyone wishes to follow me, let him deny himself. This is not a command for virgins to obey and brides to ignore, for widows and not for married women, for monks and not for married men, or for the clergy and not for the laity. No, the whole church, the entire body, all the members in their distinct and varied functions, must follow Christ. She who is totally unique, the dove, the spouse who was redeemed, endowered by the blood of her bridegroom, is to follow him. There is a place in the church for the chastity of the Virgin, for the continence of the widow, and for the modesty of the married. Indeed, all her members must have their place, and this is where they are to follow Christ, in their function and in their way of life. They must deny themselves, that is, they must not presume on their own strength. They must take up their cross by enduring in the world for Christ's sake whatever pain the world brings. Let them love him who alone can neither deceive nor be deceived, who alone will not fail them. Let them love him because his promises are true. Faith sometimes falters because he does not reward us immediately. But hold out, be steadfast, endure, bear the delay, and you have carried the cross. That reading comes from a sermon by St. Augustine. In the very little bit of time we have left, I want to hone in on that one line. For love makes easy whatever is difficult in his commands. It can feel difficult and overwhelming when we look at the needs that are all around us. But as we love our neighbor as ourselves, love makes easy what is difficult, because then it doesn't become a calculus of what what we have to do or what we have to put together. It's just a matter of seeing the needs of the others and responding in love. All of the other details can work themselves out. All we have to do is to see Christ in our neighbor and respond in our love for Christ and in our love for them. So go and do likewise. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Anil and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link to learn more. Come over and be a part of the ongoing conversation on social media at Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. And until next week, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give
1: you peace.
0: This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.